0: Uh, today is a funky day. It's a funky day in America, uh, and so we are we're calling up the Godfather Soul, James Brown, to get us through these three hours today. We spent yesterday talking about the blues, uh, and we could have we could have reprised um, uh, some of that blues music uh, uh, for today's program. Uh, but you know me, uh, we never let misery have the last word, even as we talk about the gutting of affirmative action in college admissions in this hour. We never, at our best, we don't let misery have the last word. Uh, But uh, James Brown, uh, our featured artist all three hours of today's program. As I mentioned moments ago, an all-star panel in this hour. Later in this hour, we'll be joined by Judge Ladoris Cordell to get her take on what uh, the Supreme Court on a 63-vote has done this morning. Uh, on this dark day in the nation, uh, just gutting this corrective program called Affirmative Action. As I said, 63, the decision curtails race-conscious college admissions nationwide. As you just heard me say in the last hour, this is not the end but the beginning. This is a gutting of Affirmative Action in college admissions. Trust and believe there'll be other cases. They will go after employment. They will go after contracting. They will not stop until they got uh, any and every connection, um, uh, again, to this program that we have known for all these decades now as affirmative action. The president uh, just addressed the nation live from the White House. Uh, Let me give you uh, just a minute or so of what he had to say. And then I want to juxtapose that by telling you what Kevin McCarthy, the Republican Speaker of the House, just had to say. Here now, the president of these United States. Forty-five
1: years 445 years the united states supreme court has recognized the colleges' freedom to decide how how to build diverse student bodies and to meet the responsibility of opening doors of opportunity for every single american <clears throat> in case after case including recently and just as a few years ago in 2016 the court has affirmed and reaffirmed this view that colleges could use race not as a determinative factor for admission but is one of the factors among many in deciding who to admit from a, quali- from a qualified, already qualified pool of applicants. Today, the court once again walked away from decades of precedent, and make, as the dissent has made clear. The dissent states in today's decision, quote, rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress, end of quote. I agree with that statement from the dissents, from the dissent. <clears throat> The court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions, and I strongly, strongly disagree with the court's decision.
0: That's the president of the United States uh, strongly disagreeing with the court's decision this morning. This now from the Republican Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and I quote, The Supreme Court has uh, just ruled that no American should be denied educational opportunities because of race. Now, students will be able to compete based on equal standards and individual merit. This will make the college admissions process fairer and uphold equality under the law. Their two positions could not be more diametrically different. Uh, no surprise there. Uh, I welcome now into this conversation uh, the host of You Must Learn, uh, distinguished UCLA professor, Uh, Dr. Tyrone Howard and the Chief National Political Affairs uh, 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 Analyst and host of A More Perfect Union, Sundays on the Tens. Um, Both of these brilliant minds uh, host programs on this station. And how pleased am I in a moment like this to have this stable of black brilliance, uh, black excellence to tap into for a conversation such as this at a time such as this. Dr. Howard, how are you today, sir?
2: I'm hanging in, Tavis. How are you doing this morning?
0: I'm doing the best I can. And as I say all the time, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. But I got some complaints this morning. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Corte, how are you, sir?
3: I'm holding on to
0: hope. There you go. That's all we can do. in moments almost like these is hold on to hope. Uh, Dr. Howard, you first. Uh, I don't need to even ask anything. I'll just uh, say go. Yeah,
2: court got this wrong. At least the majority got it wrong. And I think this is another way in which we see how white supremacy plays itself out, that any type of advancement from black folk and other folk of color, it seems a threat to white dominance. And I think the court basically wants to say that, as you know, Justice Thomas said, color colorblindness is what the Constitution is all about. It's never been the case. We're going to see a dramatic decrease in the number of black and brown folks on campuses. And it's just a, another reminder of the work we've got to do to ensure that we don't let the roots of racism deny what so many folks have fought for. And I'll also add this, Stavis. You know, part of what bothers me about this ruling is this, this idea that somehow there are all these black folks on campuses who are there, who are unworthy, who are undeserving, who are uh, are not highly talented and brilliant, you know, contributors to the campus environment. I'm on these college campuses. I do not see these numbers that I think folks are fearful of. But there's this prevailing belief that if there's one black student that's there, that he or she is a little bit more unqualified than a white student that there's something wrong with that and that has to be done. And finally I'll say this you know folks are upset about the kind of privilege they think that comes from having race being a factor not being D factor. But we got legacy admissions that have been happening for decades upon decades in this country. So we're okay if your father or grandfather writes a $10 million check and you get in and you're an average student but you want to sort of race you know all kind of fuss about the fact that if a black student gets in who you perceive to be not qualified then that's a problem.
0: Dr. Corte, go.
3: You know, also, uh, you know, as not just a journalist, but also as a, as a professor at, at Pepperdine University, you know, I'm, I was thinking right away of the diversity that I've enjoyed in my own classroom. Um, you know, black students and Latino students and LGBTQ students, right? And, you know, and the opportunity uh, that being in graduate school, you know, may afford them. And, you know, I'm, I am I am... I'm saddened today, you know, about how my classroom may look, uh, my classrooms, classrooms like mine in public colleges and universities may look vastly different come next fall. You know, and and to, to Dr. Tyrone's point, former First Lady Michelle Obama, you know, sort of lifted up this sentiment so eloquently saying, quote, so often we just accept that money, power and privilege are perfectly justifiable forms of affirmative action, while kids, going up like I did, are expected to compete when the ground is anything but level. So today, the former First Lady continues, and she says, my heart breaks for any young person out there who's wondering what their future holds and what kind of chances will be open to them. You know, this opens a can of worms, uh, uh, Tavis, uh, on a number of fronts. and And, you know, it's not just going to stop at college admission, as you mentioned, you know, there is an outright war on diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, and so, you know, if, if we think that companies have been a little bit reticent in terms of showing their support for various communities uh, in recent months, uh, you know, hold, fasten your seatbelt and, and get ready. Um, I think that's part of the reason why in the president's address to the nation just moments ago, um, you know, he called on corporate America to, you know, hold true to to their commitments around uh diversity equity and inclusion you know this is the same president i might remind you uh that one of his very first executive orders was the racial equity and support for underserved communities executive order uh where you know he has had he's been committed to a whole of government approach to advancing racial equity and so this is the president that got up there today not just reacting to uh, the supreme court's decision but reacting uh, to how that decision may counter uh, some of the, the heavy lifting that his administration uh, has been doing since day
0: one. We will talk about what now, we will talk about what next when we come forward with our, our own uh, team, the home team, uh, the host of You Must Learn, uh, Saturdays at uh, 10 a.m. here on KBLA Talk for Kennedy, Dr. Tyrone Howard, and the host of A More Perfect Union, Sundays on the 10s, Dr. Niko Quarterly cortez We're all right now together with you. On KBLA Talk 158, Howard, how do we uh, how do we use the soul power uh, that we have in this in this present moment, sir?
2: Yeah, I think it's appropriate having that you are uh, reminding us of James Brown, and he was critical to our fight for justice and, and recognition and inclusion. And that's just, that's what we've got to do in this moment. We've got to channel uh, our collective efforts and energy to make sure that this decision. Uh, It's not deter us. And by that, what I mean is now universities have got to be creative. They've got to be innovative. They've got to begin to say, listen, uh, we're not going to throw our hands up just because of this ruling. We're going to be much more thoughtful in our recruiting. Uh, We're going to encourage black and brown folks uh, about how to become competitively eligible at these colleges and universities. We're going to change our outreach efforts. We're going to reach out to high schools and churches and mosques and all the places that we know that black and brown folks are. This is now on universities to be creative. Uh, what I hope does not happen in this moment is that universities throw their hands up and say, well, you know, we, we want to be diverse. That's part of our mission, but we can't be because the court has made this ruling. I think UCLA is, is an example of what can happen. By no stretch of the imagination is UCLA the beacon of diversity when it comes to black folks in particular, but we know Proposition 209 has been in place for close to 30 years, uh, in the state of California. And so what UCLA had to begin to do with the tremendous and fierce leadership of, of, of one Yolanda Copeland Morgan, she began to mobilize alumni associations. She began to do insistent outreach. She began to talk to folks about the fact that, listen, even though race cannot be a factor, you can still write about your experiences as a black person or a brown person in your essays to the admissions committee. So that way you still can lift up what it means to be black or brown in a, in a, in a, in a predominantly white society. So I think we've got to be innovative, uh, in some cases subversive, but we cannot be deterred by these rulings.
0: Uh, Dr. Cortez, you hear um, uh, Dr. Howard suggest that he hopes uh, that universities will not look the other day, uh, look the other way, that is. Uh, My my experience has been that institutions oftentimes do only that which they are uh, demanded, ordered to do, in part because it takes uh, takes vision, it takes creativity, and it takes a greater effort uh, to do it. Uh, Now, if you believe in it, uh, you advance those issues. Uh, But oftentimes, again, people only do what they are mandated to do. If they're not mandated to do it, then they don't do it. So I I hear his hope that institutions won't look the other way. But how do you read this moment?
3: You know, very much like Dr. Tyrone, you know, I I think that this has the the potential to unleash a level of innovation in higher education that we um, have not seen uh, in, in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking of my alma mater, the University of Southern California, where our brother, Dr. Sean Harper, who's the executive director of the USC Race and Equity Center, this Friday from 12 to 1 p.m. Pacific is hosting a national forum on legally allowable ways to sustain racial equity initiatives on college campuses in the post-affirmative action era. And so USC's Race and Equity Center not wasting any time mm-hmm. organizing folks of conscience, folks that believe in affirmative reaction, uh, uh, organizing them in this forum, uh, to educate folks on the legally allowable ways we can sustain racial equity. And so in addition to really leaning into those personal essays, um, and telling our story, uh, in ways that make clear the fullness of who we are and the hurdles uh that we have uh, that we still must overcome. Uh that's all going to be uh critically important in the days ahead. And, you know, we we cannot let folks backslide, backtrack uh from uh commitments to racial diversity especially in a time such as this.
0: So yesterday uh Nick uh you'll appreciate this given that you're in Washington. Um I did a uh, interview yesterday at the Washington Post uh, about affirmative action. Uh, we all knew this was imminent, and so I sat for uh, about 30 40 minutes with the with the Washington Post yesterday for a piece uh, about uh, affirmative action again. And there were a number of things that came out of that conversation. One of the points I made, though, in that dialogue was that uh, our white brothers and sisters may be relatively quiet today, but as I've said, as you've said, as Tyrone has um, a manned. This is not the end. It's the beginning. It's affirmative action in college admissions, but they will go after employment. They will go after contracting. They're not going to stop. Our white brothers and sisters may be relatively quiet today, but when they get to employment and when they get to contracting, somebody's going to say something. And I mean somebody white, because the data is incontrovertible in this in this regard. White women have benefited as much as anybody from this corrective program uh, named and called affirmative action. Because those white women are married to white men who put those white women down on paper as the president of their companies. Let's just keep it real. Uh, They get listed as the president of the companies uh, and win all of these contracts, MBE, WBE. We just talked to Stephanie Wiggins, the CEO of Metro, about MBE, WBE contracts. But a whole lot of white folk, white women, white husbands and their white families, their white households have benefited greatly from affirmative action. So they may not say anything today. Because this betters the chances that more of their white kids will get uh, seats in these classrooms. But when it comes to employment and when it comes to contracting, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody's going to say something. I don't know whether it'll be too late at that point. Uh, and, and I'm just offering that as a way to see uh, a little further down the road in E. but I yield to you for your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you know,
3: this is, um, you, you, you know, I. Uh, as you, as you walk through the potential long range impact this may have, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right away I started thinking about, you know, what does this mean for legacy based admission? You know, uh, so if, if you can't check a box on an application to indicate, you know, your race, well, can you indicate that you're legacy? And if so, doesn't that give legacy kids? Uh, a leg up. And so there are I'm still pouring through the decision, but these are some of the questions that, that sort of came up to me. What are some of the implications in terms of scholarships? There are plenty of race based scholarships out there. Right. And so, you know, does this affect how colleges and universities can dole those out? You know, and there's there is uh, undoubtedly there will be an economic impact uh, for uh, black folks uh, and other folks of color. Uh, you know, when it comes to going to college, right? And so, if our access has been limited, right, and if access to scholarships and financial aid may be limited, at least from a race-based perspective, you know, then you know, then where do we go? You know, and and one place we might go where we have gone for a long time, my parents went to an HBCU. In fact, they met an HBCU in Texas. You know, this may be a boon to historically black colleges across the country, and. And to uh, PWIs, predominantly white institutions, uh, they may be wise to strengthen their consortium agreements, you know, with HBCUs, you know, in order to maintain a level of, of diversity
2: in the classroom and on campuses.
0: What about that latter point that uh, Dr. Cortez makes, Dr. Howard, about uh, the impact this might have on HBCUs?
2: Yeah, I think this is an opportunity. I think Dr. Cortez is spot on. I think this is where HBCUs have to do a really robust outreach to say, listen, we want you here We value you here. You will thrive here. We still know that the majority of uh, physicians and uh, dentists and attorneys and educators are products of historically black colleges and universities. So I would hope that parents and and, and young people who are going to be applying to colleges would consider historically black colleges and universities. But at the same time, I'm not going to let these predominantly white institutions off the hook. Yes. Uh, You say that you value diversity. You say that you want diversity. You put pictures of, of black folks on your flyers and on your website. If you really value that, then uh, what's your commitment to double down with your resources and your efforts to make sure that you understand that this has been a setback, but a setback, as my grandmother always says, said, is a for a comeback? How do we come back from this situation now? And I think there will be some universities who are going to take the lead on this, a predominantly white institution, that is, and be out in front to do this. But I think you make an excellent point, though, here, Tavis. I think we have to remember that affirmative action in its original intent was not solely based upon racial preference, but also gender Mm preference. So in this moment, where are white women who are standing up and speaking out to say, listen, We have been major benefactors of this. Uh, We are also going to stand up when it comes to to racial preferences. But again, I think the silence is deafening. I think it speaks volumes. And I think part of what we don't do is the very point that you lifted up is understand when you do a deeper dive on the data, it shows over and over again that white women have benefited from affirmative action more so than folks of color have been. And to me, that's deeply troubling. And the final thing I'll say on this, tab is, is that, look, I'm always intrigued with what happens on college campuses because we have no problem. Uh, being in a position to see black folks run up and down a, a football field or run up and down a basketball court when it increases the bottom line for institutions. Mm-hmm. So we're all for affirmative action in the athletic domain, but there's something about seeing a black person in the engineering lab or in the journalism classroom or in the economics classroom that just really, really just just undermines the very sort of uh, essence of what some folks think education should be about. So I think at the end of the day, when I think about this moment, I'm reminded of the work of the prolific writer Carol Anderson when Mm -hmm. she talks about white rage. And she said the thing that really intensifies white rage is black advancement. Any sign that black folk are making advances or making progress or struggles oftentimes just just serves as a catalyst for white rage because they operate oftentimes from a zero-sum game. If you are getting something, you must be getting something at the expense of me getting something, mm-hmm. and that's what we have to continue to fight.
0: Tyrone Howard is teaching and preaching here on KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, watching my clock, about 90 seconds. Last word to you, uh, Neek Quarterly. Let me come straight to the politics of this, which I know you'll be unpacking uh, in great detail this Sunday on A More Perfect Union, I heard Sundays on the 10s on this program. Uh, but my final question, the exit question is, what do you make of the politics? Again, no surprise here, but here again, another 63 vote, Ni Quarterline.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, certainly we can expect uh, former President Trump, who still is a contender for the GOP nomination for president, we can expect you know him to take some credit for this because you know the justices that he appointed uh, to the Supreme Court pushed this thing over the top, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in in addition to sort of owning uh, the demise of Roe v. Wade, that uh, precedent, that precious precedent uh, over women's reproductive rights, is another precedent. Here on affirmative action uh, that is gone and was helped uh, by uh, the appointment of uh, former President Donald Trump, and so you can expect for this to be a uh, an issue during uh, the campaign cycle. If not for that, for the fact that by this time uh, next uh, summer uh, we have the next class of students that will be preparing to you know head to colleges and universities in the fall, and they may look very different. Uh, from the students that may be going uh, into public colleges and universities
4: this
0: fall. Um, We celebrate uh, and try to embody black excellence here at KBLA Talk 1580, and I could not be more delighted uh, to call both of these brothers, these gentlemen, uh, colleagues here at this station. Uh, Dr. Tyrone Howard uh, is president. Of the American, let me get it right, Dr. Howard, give it to me again. American. American Educational Research Association. That's it. That's right. National president of that organization. Yeah, that part. Uh, Also a distinguished (laughs) professor at UCLA and host of You Must Learn. Heard Saturdays at 10 a.m., exclusively here on KBLA Talk 1580. And our friend and brother and chief national political affairs analyst and host of A More Perfect Union, heard Sundays on the 10s here on KBLA Talk 1580, Dr. Nick Corte has joined us as well in this hour. When we come forward, Judge LaDoris Cordell and her take on this. But for now, uh, Dr. Howard, thank you for your time, sir. I appreciate you all the best to you. Uh, be well, Tavis. You too, man. We'll hear your program Saturday morning at 10 a.m. And I uh, can't wait to Sunday for all two hours, both hours, of uh, A More Perfect Union to see how Neat Quarterly unpacks this on Sunday. Dr. Corte, appreciate you, sir. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Always a pleasure.
0: Judge Ladoris Cordell with her take on uh, the gutting of affirmative action in college admissions when we come forward on KBLA Talk
1: 1580. Forty-five years, four-forty-five years, the United States Supreme Court has recognized the college's freedom to decide how, how to build diverse student bodies and to meet the responsibility of opening doors of opportunity for every single American. <clears throat> in case after case, including recently, uh, just as a few years ago in 2016, the court has affirmed and reaffirmed this view, that colleges could use race not as a determinative factor for admission, but as one of the factors among many in deciding who to admit from a quali- from a qualified already qualified pool of applicants today the court once again walked away from decades of precedent and make as the dissent has made clear the dissent states that today's decision quote rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress end of quote I agree with that statement from the dissent from the dissent the court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions and I strongly Strongly disagree with the
0: court's decision. As the president of uh, the United States, Joe Biden, um, moments ago, uh, in case you uh, didn't hear that at the top of the hour, I want to give you a sense uh, of what the president has had to say about this gutting of affirmative action in college admissions. And here again, uh, the comment of Kevin McCarthy, the Republican Speaker of the House, could not be uh, more different than what the president had to say. Uh, And I quote from the speaker, the Supreme Court just ruled that no American should be denied educational opportunities because of race. Now, students will be able to compete based on equal standards and individual merit. This will make the college admissions process fairer and uphold equality under the law. Once again, you couldn't have two more uh, diametrically opposed statements from the president. Uh, and from the Speaker of the House. I don't need to say much more than that. Uh, I am pleased to welcome Judge Ladoris Cordell back to this program. Judge Cordell, take it away.
4: Hi, Tavis. Um, this decision upends uh, decisions from the Supreme Court that have supported affirmative action. And by affirmative action, I mean a holistic approach to admissions, meaning that race is a factor, but not the only factor in deciding who gets into these colleges also understand these two colleges that were the uh, defending affirmative action uh, were specifically picked by this organization that sued that was put together by edward blum Uh, one is a prestigious public institution the other prestigious private one and this affirmative action case is really geared at the elite universities that produce and create the pipeline especially for people of color for people who go into law schools, become our lawyers, our judges, our engineers, and our physicians. However, that being said, um, this decision, in my view, did not end affirmative action in admissions. Let me say that again. Mm -hmm. This decision did not end affirmative action in admissions. And why do I say that? This decision made it more difficult and more tricky to use race, but the court did not exclude race as a factor. So there are 237 pages that comprise not just the opinion, but also the concurrences. That's the justices of the six who supported this. And there are dissenting opinions, one by uh, Justice Sotomayor and one by uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson. Um, And the best way to understand a Supreme Court decision, in my view, is to read the dissent. If you read the dissent, you'll understand exactly what the majority did. So I'm going to just give you a couple of lines from Sotomayor's dissent, and you'll see why I believe and stand by the statement that this decision did not end affirmative action. Mm -hmm. Here it is. This is from it. In a single paragraph at the end of its lengthy opinion, the court suggests that, quote, nothing in today's opinion prohibits universities from considering a student's essay that explains, quote, how race affected that student's life. So that's directly from the dissent, quoting from the opinion. So while you can't say race is one of our factors, you can consider race. And I encourage applicants to any of these universities to make sure that they talk about their race when they write their essays. And what's also interesting, the court gave an exemption or an exception to military schools, colleges and universities saying that race can be a factor because race and diversity is important for national security. So they are hypocritical. Mm. On the one hand, they say we have to have a colorblind society. And on the other hand, they're saying, well, uh, you can talk about race in your application and race can be an explicit factor when we're talking about admissions to military schools. It makes no sense.
2: Hey,
4: one uh, other thing. Sure, Please, it's,
0: please, please. Yes, please. One, one quick thing. Mm-hmm.
4: And, and so Soto Sotomayor's uh, dissent. She just ripped apart Clarence Thomas's concurring opinion. She took every point he made, which and sh- showed that they, it was not supported by any kind of evidence of all, and she just ripped it to shreds. So I believe little will change in affirmative action. It's just that the universities, admissions, uh, and uh, colleges cannot use the words race. Um, and they can, however, absolutely consider race as a factor as long as they don't explicitly say it.
0: We just had two guests. First of all, thank you for that brilliance. Uh, I was just saying moments ago that I love being able to tap into my own team here. Uh, Dr. me Nicordalai, and Dr. Howard Tyrone just had them on for half an hour. Uh, And here we come with more brilliance, of course, uh, judicial brilliance uh, in Judge Lodores Cordell. I I just feel like I'm so fortunate uh, to have all these black minds to tap into in this hour. That said, um, does any part of what you just said um, suggest to you that we aren't going to see a significant drop in the admissions of black folk and other students of color? Because that is not how Dr. Howard and Dr. Corte felt about it in the first half hour of this hour.
4: Sure. So there is a basis for them saying this, in that in California, with Prop 209, uh, the voters, majority of voters, those who voted, uh, said that you can't use race as a factor in affirmative action. And so, for example, at the UC campuses, the enrollment of black and brown students has dropped, Mm -hmm. Uh, meaning if you just focus on the socioeconomic concerns and nothing else, you're going to get a drop. What I'm saying here is that if you read this opinion carefully, mm-hmm. and I encourage people, you don't have to read 237 pages. Just read Justice Social Mayor's and Justice Jackson, Brown Jackson's dissents. You'll understand what this opinion means. So initially, I think that if people just take the approach, well, affirmative action's over, they're wrong. It's quite clear that court has said you can write about race, and it can be a factor you just can't say it, which is ridiculous, understand? Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But so if, if we really adhere, these admissions offices really adhere to this decision, there shouldn't be a significant drop. Uh, and also understand, the Supreme Court doesn't have the last word. Every time they've made a major decision, there's always litigation that follows. Mm-hmm. There's always litigation. And there's going to be litigation. Uh There's going to be perhaps Asian-American students one more, or maybe it's going to be white students or... And another question, what does this impact, this decision have impact on historically black colleges and universities? Mm -hmm. I mean, in the name is black is race. So are they saying that they can't look at race (laughs) when we're considering people? So that's not even addressed. So good luck with that. There's going to be plenty to talk about here on.
0: That that's, it, it, it's it's not funny, but it is uh, because nobody quite put it the way Judge Cordell just put it. Yeah. If you're a black college and black is in your name, uh, are you not to consider race uh, when you're admitting students to Howard or Texas Southern or FAMU or whatever the case may be? I take your point. Let me come back to this. and, and I'm I'm going to ask the question that I'm, I'm almost uh, uh, afraid to ask because you've always said how silly how ridiculous, how stupid it is, but I'm just trying to understand what their thinking is, Uh, and I'm not naive in asking it. Why this exemption, to your mind, from a 63 decision for military schools? Why why did those six persons cut out, carve out this exemption for military schools?
4: Say they know, these six, they know how important uh, diversity is, and they're very concerned that, wow, we have to make sure we have enough and this is, again, me, just me saying this. Mm-hmm. We have to have enough brown and black bodies to put out there to to uh, die for our country. Uh-huh. And so, uh-huh. so why would we want to stop that? Uh-huh. So let's make sure that we can get those bodies in there and they can go sacrifice for this country. But when it comes to these other institutions, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to keep that as selective as possible. To me, that is outrageous and it's racist. So you have it, you have it right in their words. And as I said, read Sotomayor's dissent. She talks about it and says, "This is so hypocritical. This military school for national security. We're important for national security, but not important enough to go to these educational institutions. Give me a break."
0: Love, love love me some of the (laughs) Cordell, that analysis right there. I, I, I didn't know where she was going with that, but I knew she had something for me. I wanted to know why the carve out for military schools. Now you get it. They need black and brown bodies to put on the front lines to defend this country. But we are not good enough. Uh, to go to the best institutions in this country. Uh, again, uh, so honored to have Judge Ladoris Cadell on this program. We'll continue with her when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. So, um, you have uh, encouraged us um, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, times now. To make sure that we read the dissents in this case today, we know what the what the six had to say. You're encouraging us to read the dissents to really understand what this is all about. Uh, from KBJ uh, and from Sonia Sotomayor, um, what impact um, long-term? What impact historically uh, do these dissents actually have? Because uh, when you were last on, we talked about all the dissents that one-third good Marshall. Uh, Put on the books uh, over a thousand uh, dissents from him just on the issue of the death penalty, as I recall from that conversation. Uh, what's, what's the import of these dissents today from KBJ and Sotomayor? Uh,
4: the impact of the dissent is going to be really, really important. Uh, understand they are the minority now, they're not the majority, but they lay out why the decision is not one that is a solid one and one that does not follow legal precedent. So I believe time will show that these dissents will eventually prevail and become the uh, majority opinion again. Uh, this court is the six. When I talk to the Supreme Court, right now I'm talking about the supermajority six. They have gone rogue. They have gone rogue on a woman's uh, right to choose, and they've now gone rogue on the issue regarding admissions using affirmative action. And the history will demonstrate that, uh, when the court has done stuff like this and really gone against popular opinion, things will change. It takes a bit of time. Um, and, and in doing so, just, just one thing I have to, to mention about Clarence Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the arguments he made was that the use of race in this, you know, holistic admissions, which is what we do now, holistic, leading a, a bunch of factors, This is what he said. He said it leads to the inevitable underperformance by black and Latino students at elite universities. And I'm quoting from him because they are less academically prepared than the white and Asian students with whom they must compete. Mm -hmm. And it was Mayor was great. She wrote Justice Thomas speaks only for himself. And she was basically saying, yeah, you probably couldn't compete. You probably felt that you were out of your league, but that is not true statistically. And she writes about that in her dissent as well. So he's just putting out um, his ideas based upon his um, warped attitude about race mm-hmm. and about his own people. And he's written about it in the dissent. That's why it's so refreshing to read this dissent and understand better, not just the fact that uh, they're in the minority, but she points out. Here's what the opinion actually said. So I go back to her comment about that last paragraph Mm -hmm. um, in their final paragraph, saying we don't, we're not going to prohibit race from being considered. The student wants to write about his or her race, put it in the essays, and it can be considered. But basically, they're saying just don't say it out loud, which Mm. is preposterous.
0: That's also uh, that line that you read from Clarence Thomas's um, uh, opinion. That that is. that's also a pretty stunning and damning indictment of himself. Well, when one considers that he that's got right. into Yale, he got into Yale Law School on an affirmative action program, is he suggesting that's that right. he underperformed at Yale? And if he did underperform at Yale, he still got a seat on the Supreme Court. He's the longest serving justice now. That's an indictment of himself, is it not?
4: That's, that's exactly right. And we all know that his seat on the Supreme Court was one that was a reactionary appointment by the first Bush mm-hmm. after Thurgood Marshall left. And he, he clearly was not the most qualified person of color to sit on that bench. That man had only been a judge for 18 months, mm-hmm. and he had worked at the EEOC for his entire legal career. He was mediocre. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but we had much better. And mm-hmm. so here he is now writing. And again, even his reasoning shows mediocrity, in my view, and that's why Sotomayor ripped into him the way she did. And, and I want to add something. When Scalia, who who died, mm-hmm. was on the court, and he commented again, echoing really what Thomas has said today, but this is what he said. And this, this really gets me because it's so blatantly racist. This is a quote from Scalia. There are those who contend that it does not benefit African-Americans to get them into the University of Texas. This is the lawsuit in 2016 Mm -hmm. that affirmed affirmative action, but let me go, okay, Uh, where they do not do well as opposed to having them go to a less advanced school, a slower track school where they do well. And he says, one of the briefs pointed out that most of the black scientists in this country don't come from schools like the University of Texas. They come from lesser schools where they do not feel they're being pushed ahead in classes that are too fast for them. (laughs) That is so blatantly racist mm-hmm. and stereotypes uh, black and brown people who are uh, students are in school. And that's the mentality. So the, we have the six who's explicitly just said, you know, we don't even want to deal with structural racism in America. We want to deal with the history, which is beautifully written about by Brown Jackson and her descent of racism in our educational system. They've just ignored it. The other thing, one last thing here, that the court relied on was a statement in an opinion made by Sandra Day O'Connor, where she said, "25 years from now, we shouldn't have to have, worry about having race as a part of affirmative action." And what these justices did today was like, "Okay, 25 years is up, mm-hmm. so I guess we, you know, we should really move on." And that is absolutely absurd. And as I said, Sotomayor and her dissent just tears that apart.
0: When we come forward in our many moments, I want to talk about the point you make now about why people are looking at the clock, as it were, and not the data. You're focused on the clock, but not the data. Why is that? You're listening to KBLA Talk 15 minutes. I've got three minutes. Let me do two things right quick. I'm going to put both of them on the uh, table at the same time, which I don't tend to do. Get out of your way and give you the two and a half minutes we have left right quick. Number one, why is it that we are fixated on the clock, given what Sandra Day O'Connor said 25 years ago, versus the data in the most multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic America ever. That's number one. And number two, what are we to make of this trashing, this trampling uh, consistently of legal precedent uh, by this Supreme Court? Take it away.
4: With regard to time limit, it was in a 2003 decision that Sandra Day O'Connor wrote that in 25 years, we should be we should end race conscious admissions. And for some reason, these justices have just clung onto that and said, OK, that's the standard we want to use. So at the oral argument and this particular case with Harvard and UNC, Justice Roberts said this, he says, I don't see how you can say that the program will ever end your position he's saying to unc and harvard is that race matters because it's necessary for diversity which is necessary for the sort of education you want it's not going to stop mattering at some particular point so he's saying that's what you all are saying yes that's what they're saying and then amy coney barrett one of the six says so what are you saying when you're up here in 2040 are you still defending it like this is just Mm -hmm. indefinite, Mm -hmm. what is wrong with these people that they do not understand that structural racism, Mm. that racism is so embedded in this society that it's not going to end in 25, how long did it take for it to get instilled and baked in? Mm. So yes, this goes on for as long as there is structural racism, and they just don't want to look at it, Mm -hmm. including Clarence Thomas, who basically disputes the word diversity, says I don't have a clue what that even means. He is clueless in that sense. Um, so let me just move yes. on. So the data is clear. Yeah. We we know the wealth gap. We know all of that. They are just ignoring it because they're ignoring it, and they just don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me get back to the trampling of constitutional precedent. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of the Supreme Court is to review decisions from lower courts and to then say, okay, this is the rule of law. This is the law of the land. So, <clears throat> the importance is they don't hear cases anew, they're reviewing, and they pick cases that have tremendous impact on the country. So that is how the court has always worked. In other words, you make a decision, you adhere to it until such time as change is necessary. So that's why we got Brown versus Board of Education. There was enough social science, there's enough information and popular opinion to say it is time to move on. In this instance, there was no reason for them to take up this case. Yeah. That There was precedent already set from three cases, 1978, 2003, 2016, mm-hmm. that just said holistic approach to admissions is fine. You can use race. So why did they do this? Because they could. Because they could, yeah. And because for years they've been thinking about it and they could. They have thrown this out the door. That is adhering to constitutional precedent. Shame on them. And hopefully, you know, their time will come.
0: I am out of time. Um, Speaking of time, I'm out of it right about now. But if you want more of this black brilliance, I highly recommend her book. It's called Her Honor, My Life on the Bench, What Works, What's Broken, and How to Change It. Uh, You won't read a better book that's come out in the last couple of years. It's called Her Honor by LaDoris Hazard Cordell. Judge Cordell, good to have you back on. All the best. You will do it again somewhere down the road, I promise.
4: Thank you, Travis. Thank Thank you you so much.
0: Thank you for your time. Hour 3 of Tabby Smiley. After news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.